welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me today is my co-host and producer... Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. And uh, no Pyre Lily today. No Pyre Lily today. Our Techno Mage is working. Yeah. We do have to, you know... Make money to keep things going on. Someone does have to make pay the bills, don't they? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Ren, for paying the bills. <laughs> oh, that makes me sound like a complete loser. <laughs> wow. Well. Hey, I do have a full-time job, okay? Otherwise, I'd be doing this literally every single day of the week. But here we are. Nick, why don't you remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us? Uh, aliens, you can find us on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at the Area 51H. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Area 51 and a half. And don't forget to check out our Patreon for all sorts of exclusive goodies and a shout out during our podcast. Nick, we've got some exciting news, don't we? Yes, we do. You know, John, it's that time of the year again. Christmas is over and we've left. The winter wonderland behind for a winter wasteland. But you, <laughs> but you know what helps beat those winter blues? A good old-fashioned game night. Yeah! Starting on January 29th, Area 51 and a half will be hosting a game night at the Denny's right here in St. Thomas, Ontario. Everybody's talking about it. We've got some really great online buzz, and we are excited to see our aliens or anyone else who comes out for the night. Entry is, of course, free with purchase of food, but that's not all. It isn't? What's game night without snacks? I don't know. That's why Denny's is offering a special deal. Nachos for $5 and matzo sticks for $5. Two of my favorite things. Right? So come on out for a night of fun and frivolity, your favorite board games, favorite card games, whatever, and join us. We'll sit. You can come down. You can sit down. We'll play with you. Whatever. Come meet the hosts. It's going to be a fun night. St. Thomas Denny's is located at 417 Wellington Street at the Elgin Center. And don't forget, it starts after 4 o'clock. After 4 o'clock, that is correct. And on that note, it is time for Nick's Pop Culture Roundup. All right, John, we've got an interesting roundup this week. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to mention Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. So first and foremost... Wait, what? It's not a movie. It's a video game. Oh, thank God. So... First and foremost, I'm just going to say Indiana Jones video games are few and far between. So it is kind of nice to see a a new Indiana Jones video game. It's not going to be a clone of the Uncharted series of the Tomb Raider series. It is different. It is first person shooter type style, which cool. Um, it is being produced by Machine Games, and to my chagrin, it is an Xbox exclusive. But you know. Ren's got the Xbox, so... You'll well, be able to play it. I'll be able to play it. Let's face it, you know, when I was a kid and had an Atari, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was actually it was just called Raiders of the Lost Ark game, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just little blocks of people kind of swinging around. and there Oh, were, the old 8-bit. There was a real tricky moment. You had to yeet yourself off of a cliff, whip the whip, and slide into a cave. That you didn't even know existed. I had to have somebody else tell me this existed. Okay. It was the most challenging part of the darn game. Because if you didn't get that whip just right, you fell to your doom. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's... There, there, there's been a few... Like, when LucasArts was still around, um, there was a few decent Indiana Jones games... I can't think of one that's been out in the past 20 years at all. Um, so it's kind of exciting to see a new one. I, I'm looking forward to it, and I will play it once it comes out. It does uh, sound like an exciting game. I'm not excited about the title. But, you, know. you know, somebody online mentioned this, and I'm like, you know what? They're right. You can take literally any Spielberg movie, add Indiana Jones and the to it, and you'd have a better title than the Dial of Destiny in the Great Circle. <laughs> like Indiana Jones and the Bread of Mold. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Memoirs of a Geisha. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else can we come up with? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Lightsaber of Doom. Um, Indiana Jones and... Uh, no, no, not going there. Indiana um, Jones and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> there you go, there you go. 
Um, this is what happens when Ren's not here. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there's a Minecraft movie coming out. Uh, it stars Kate McKinnon, Jemaine Clement, Jason Momoa, and Jack Black. Now, I don't... You haven't played Minecraft, have you? Yeah, I have. You have? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to look at this as the same as the Lego movie. Like, I remember when the Lego movie uh, was coming out, the first thought was this is a ridiculous cash grab because how do you make a movie out of Lego and it turned out to be one of the, the sweetest movies I'd ever seen. Um, I'm going to hope that a Minecraft movie is along the same lines because I cannot for the life of me think about what they're going to do for a Minecraft movie. Well, I'm thinking with Kate McKinnon and Jack Black, first of all, it's got to be a comedy. Yes, and Jemaine Clement as well. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a comedy. Um, Jason Momoa will probably get to play with his comedy chops a little bit, but I still, I still have no idea where, where they're going to go for this one. Well, they're going to mine the craft, I guess. They'll be building something. They'll be doing something. I building a you. kingdom or something. I hate you. Mine <laughs> the craft? Really? <laughs> what else? Yeah. What else is there? Um, and like... What style is it going to be live action? Is it going to be animated? Is it going to be animated in that 8 bit blocky style? Which honestly, I have zero interest in watching a movie like that. But I have zero interest in this movie at all. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm interested in the production of it to see how it goes. That's that's more of it for me. I want to see how the production goes. And if they if they make something that looks good. I might go see it, but yeah, it's just it's just an interesting little thing that's happening right now, a Minecraft movie. Hmm. And Jahan. <laughs> They're making a Richard Simmons movie. It's about time. It's about time. Now there is a pop culture icon for you. And Polly Shore. The weasel. Weasel on the chips. The leaning tower of Chissa. Is going to be playing Richard Simmons, and I am so curious to see how this goes. I'm here for it because I don't know any other actor in Hollywood that could actually play Richard Simmons. I don't either. I, I honestly don't. I don't know what the story's going to be. Whether it's a biopic, it's going to whether... yeah, it's going to be a biopic. No, but I mean, I don't. What I mean by that is like, is it going to be like his entire life, or is it going to be that segment of life where he disappeared for a while and nobody knew where he was, like? Well, I mean, with most biopics, right, it's about the the, the rise of the star. So it's probably going to be, um, you know, we'll probably see a young Richard Simmons move into the... The Polly Shore Richard Simmons. Yeah, exactly. Because Polly Shore ain't no spring chicken anymore. Uh, no, no, he is not. But anyway, um, that, that'll be coming out. Uh, I am... It, it would be really interesting if Polly Shore winds up with an Oscar nom for this. I... <laughs> <laughs> I would die. I would die. Hey, speaking of which, uh, there is a movie coming out. It's, what is it called? Oh my gosh, I saw a trailer for it really late last night. Um, I I want to say it's called Spaceman. Uh, I'm not sure, but it stars Adam Sandler. And it's not a comedy. It is not a comedy. And based on the trailer that I saw, he could actually wind up with an Oscar nomination. Really? Um, that would be interesting. Just because, well, one, because it's Adam Sandler. Uh, I've seen Adam Sandler do serious acting in the past. There, It's interesting because a lot of comedians can actually make that jump to dramatic acting very well. Adam Sandler has always been a little awkward yeah. in it. In and, my opinion. and honestly, so has Jim Carrey, even though he's done some very dark work like uh, Sunshine of the Spot, well, Eternal so, Sunshine Arizona, of the Spotless yeah. Mind. Yeah. Uh, uh, or the number 23. Yeah. Or, yeah. But even so, there was still that kind of something holding him back where he almost couldn't resist being Jim Carrey in yeah. them. Whereas this, with Adam Sandler, there is like not a trace of anything. It is just pure, older stuff. Adam Sandler, he's in this situation. What the plot of it is, is he's alone up there on a space station. He's an astronaut. Right. He's in a space station or whatever. And he has this sort of existential crisis. And 
they don't know if he is going crazy or not because he sees this alien and the alien wants to get into his mind and help him through his problems. So it's it's an interesting, interesting sounding plot. And I'm, I'm kind of here for it. And I'm kind of glad to have seen that uh, trailer. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get into it. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's called Spaceman. It's also got Paul Dano in it, which is I like Paul Dano, so that'll be interesting. Um and Carrie Mulligan, I think. Yeah. Uh be yeah, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really good. And I'm always interested when an actor does go out of their their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm for it. Nick, thank you. You always bring such interesting things to your pop culture roundup. I try. Now, as you know, as we mentioned on the last podcast, I kind of had a wonderful experience at the very tail end of 2023. Indeed. I won a wonderful contest from the people at Tweeterhead, where I won a 1.6 scale of their new Wonder Woman maquette. It is a gorgeous piece. If you want to see what it looks like, aliens, you can go to YouTube and find our unboxing video that Nick and I did. I'm going to give you just a little bit of history on Tweeterhead. So Tweeterhead started in 2012. Uh, Chad Colbank started Tweeterhead as a small business making model kits. Tweeterhead kits made some waves with a few groundbreaking pieces, but then along came Kimba the Witch. Kimba was a hit, a hit that had ravenous customers calling for pre-painted maquettes. Now we have seen their work on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, there was a couple seasons where um, they would get uh, a statue, a maquette of RuPaul with the uh, racing flags and then this iconic uh, drag race. Yeah, um, pink. I don't know what it's called. Uniform, I guess. Uh, not sure what they would call it, but uh, yeah, it's just a, a marvelous thing. So I've been talking to Matt Wessel from Tweeterhead, and this beautiful statue arrived now nick can you give us your thoughts on what you when you saw the statue all right so as a collector i have seen a lot of different sculpts um wonder woman i've seen a ton of sculpts for uh some range from that really to oh my god that's awesome this is at the top tier of this like this thing was absolutely gorgeous um i'm not a collector of statuettes um Mainly because I don't have the funds and I don't have the space. But if I could have a smaller version of this in my collection, I 100% would. It is absolutely wonderful. It's gorgeous. These guys at Tweeterhead know what they're doing. Yeah, it is it, beautiful. It's really high-end stuff. I mean, I've, I've got a couple images up here. And you can check them out, folks. Uh, they're, they're on Facebook. They've got their own website. But they've got these wonderful Superman statues. Look at that one, like just as an example. Yeah, like if I could have a smaller version of that for my collection, I would. And you saw the bust that they did of He-Man. Like yes. that is so detailed. How on earth they could get that? I mean, I want to kind of know who that's based on because it it looks like the cartoon, but doesn't look like yeah. the cartoon. It looks like an actual person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they have these gorgeous ones of Skeletor, and he's on his panther, and he's got the staff. The action that they put into these uh, maquettes is astounding. You know, and that thing was not light, you know, because the, the one... Yeah, the it was heavy. Yeah, it, was heavy. it sits on a base it's, with Ares. It's not made of styrofoam. <laughs> no, it was packed in styrofoam, but it is not made of styrofoam. And, you know, just the joy that we had unboxing that and the care that we we wanted to take this is how good this is folks this is this is how wonderful these statues are my mother saw it and she said that is a beautiful statue that is a wonderful piece of art it needs to go someplace where everybody can see it yeah that's how wonderful these statues are in tweeterhead so anyway thank you so much to matt wessel and all the gang at tweeterhead for bestowing this wonderful prize upon me and it got us thinking, didn't it, Nick? It did. We have not talked about everybody's favorite superhero, everybody's female favorite superhero, the big kahuna of heroines, if you will, Wonder Woman. 
Yeah, uh, she is definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest. She's considered part of the Holy Trinity of DC superheroes. Yes. Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. It is, I mean, she is ingrained in pop culture, just like Superman and Batman. Just like every other uh, major comic book hero out there. And yeah, she's, understatement of the year, she's important. She is very important. I mean, she's, what's great about Wonder Woman and about her actually just being in existence is one, she gives uh, young girls somebody to look up to, right? But she also gives young boys somebody to look up to that isn't just one of the boys, right? Yeah. That she is just about as powerful as Superman. Like, she could take Batman, no problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, maybe not Superman, but there I do have a list of superheroes that she probably could take in a fight and what and we're, we're going to get into that later i think we'd like to get into some of the history of her and how she was created yeah so wonder woman made her first actual appearance in all-star comics number eight which was published october 21st uh, 1941 and then she had her first actual feature uh in january of 1942 in Sensation Comics, number one. The history of comic books is interesting, but comic books as we know them, kind of, yeah, give or take, comic books as we know them were invented around 1933. Yeah. Uh, Maxwell Charles Gaines, who was a former elementary school principal, uh, he went on to the all to found All-American Comics. Now, Superman was the, uh, sort of the first guy bounding over tall buildings in 1938. Later came Batman. Um, kids would just devour them. The kids yeah. loved them. Right? Oh, I know, I know. And at the time, war was going on in Europe, and you know, we they kind of needed them. They they sort of created a modern mythos out of these things, you know. Um, but it's not without controversy because there's a lot of people that thought that comic books were a bit of a disgrace. They were yeah violent. They were hypersexual. They were. Uh, whatever whatever they could throw at the wall to make it stick to get these things to go away. They were just going to be the ruination of every American child. I, I love, I actually love this aspect of comic book history because it's circular. It's something that constantly happens throughout society, throughout history. Because back then it was comic books. Nowadays it's video games. And John, somebody posted this thing and I died. Um, it was a meme saying that Video games are violent, and they objectify women, and then it's a picture of Power Washer uh, Simulator <laughs> and House Flipper Simulator, and I'm just like, that's beautiful. Anyway. Yeah, like, there, there was, um, <laughs> it, it's just amazing. I got a quote here. Um, in 1940, the Chicago Daily News called comics a national disgrace. Oh, my God. Ten million copies of these sex horror serials are sold every month. That was from the literary editor. Uh, he called for parents and teachers to ban the comics unless we want a coming generation even more ferocious than the present one. That's not even the boomers. That's my dad. <laughs> that, is that your dad or is that like no, your dad's my, dad? No, no, that's my dad's generation yeah. like of kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and listen, you knew my dad. Yeah. Oh, would yeah. You, would you describe him as ferocious? Oh, yeah, definitely ferocious. <laughs> no, no, like, that that's the thing, right? Like, there's, there's always something that comes along that questions the status quo that's different. And at that point, comic books, as they were then, were different. It was a completely new medium. Nothing was really, like, they had their history going back before that, but... In that form, there wasn't really anything like that. Yeah. And definitely not anything as easily accessible as that. Because we're now coming into a point where they're like it's no longer just, you know, little press shops making these things. These things are being published and pressed at an immense level. Yeah. That they, that had never been seen before. Yeah. So it was incredibly accessible. And yeah, to Older people, when a new medium, as I mentioned video games earlier, when a new medium comes along, it can be frightening to them. Yeah. Because it's new and different and nobody knows how to deal with it. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and so Gaines was kind of smart and he thought, I need something to combat this. So this is where we get uh, Professor William Marsden coming in. Yes. You know, because he hires him because Marsden held three degrees from Harvard, including a PhD in psychology. Um, He'd been a lawyer, a scientist, and a professor. Holy and, crap, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And he's been credited with inventing the lie detector test. Really? Which, you know, will play into his creation of Wonder Woman a little later yeah, on, would, wouldn't right? It? Yeah, wouldn't um, But he, he was kind of obsessed with uncovering um, people's deep, darkest secrets, yeah. you know? So, Which, again, comes as into... As a psychology yeah. professor, you know, like, honestly, I'm surprised he didn't... He didn't switch gears and become the scarecrow. <laughs> but he, he'd written screenplays. He'd written a novel. Um, he had written dozens and dozens of magazine articles. This guy was considered the authority. You know, um, kind of like the way Dr. Spock was for um, baby boomers and, uh, you know, yeah. raising children that way, right? What <laughs> Mr. Gaines didn't know is that good old Doc Marston, as we're going to call him, had an interesting lifestyle at home that was, shall we say, frowned upon by the people of the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to put it very, to put it very um, succinctly, Marston had his wife, and they both had a live-in partner. There's a lot to that, and you can explore that in Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Um, that's the movie about his life. It's an interesting film. Definitely check it out. But all that can be explored there. Exactly. We're not going to get into that kind of stuff. But it does play into um, the fact that he created Wonder Woman in kind of a misogynistic way. You know, and the fact that she, she lost her powers if a man could basically conquer her, chain her. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, tie her up, whatever, yeah, there, right? There was a lot of, um, in, in Wonder Woman's initial conception, there was a lot of um, S&M undertones. Right. And that's a topic that can't be avoided because that's how Marston created her. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because Gaines always saw these comic books as being very patriotic. You know, they were just... Heroes for kids, and we're gonna have have kids be patriotic, and we're gonna like this. This is a great thing. I mean, truth, man, justice, and the American way. The guy was an educator, right? But yeah. 1942, along comes the National Organiza Organization for Decent Literature, and they put Sensation Comics on the blacklist. Yeah, publications okay. disapproved for youth. One reason: Wonder Woman is not sufficiently dressed. Oh, I'm, I'm sure Marston would disagree. And he does. Yeah. <laughs> and he does. You know, here's the thing. The thing that kills me about Marston is that he doubles down on everything, right? Um, this <laughs> the, the writer, uh, Olive Richard, goes to visit him in his uh, home in New York. Right? <laughs> to ask his expert opinion about comics. Mm-hmm. Because don't forget, he's an expert. She's, she's from Circle Magazine. Some of them are full of torture, kidnapping, sadism, and other cruel business, is what she proclaimed. Right? That sounds like it's right up Marston's alley. Marston says, unfortunately, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my when God. When a lovely heroine is bound to the stake, comic followers are sure that she, the rescue will arrive in the nick of time. The readers wish to save the girl, not to see her suffer. <laughs> oh, and then and then he goes on to say, "There's <laughs> not not necessarily in this interview." Frankly, Wonder Woman is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who I believe should rule the world. So I, I'm going to talk about Wonder Woman physically for a second. Physically, yes. Physically. So Wonder Woman is actually based off of his wife, uh, Elizabeth, Ho uh, Elizabeth Holloway Marston, and their partner, Olive Byrne. And the reason that she's based off of these two women is because Marston believed that his partners 
were the epitome of femininity at the time. And that makes a lot of sense. That also sounds like a guy who is like love drunk, but you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And I've seen pictures of these women and I've seen the woman that played them in the movie. And yes, very much so. I can see Wonder Woman in these women. I can see these one these women in Wonder Woman. And I can I can understand why he would do that. Yeah. But see, that's why I think I won the contest, right? Because I spoke to that. Like I gave the the quote. So you're supposed to give a quote. Yeah. And I gave this wonderful quote about it, uh, which we've already mentioned, so I'm not gonna into mentioning that, but I wrote a mini essay about yeah. how it, when we remove the male gaze and the misogyny of the creator of Wonder Woman, then we can truly see her as this leader and warrior princess and powerful and all these wonderful things. Like once you take away that sexualization, well, it it, it goes into the conversation of intent and interpretation, right? Yeah, like the artist's intent is always there. But after a while, the interpretation of those viewing the art can transmogrify that piece of art into something that's completely different. Yeah. Now, we know that she is a hit. Now she yeah. stands for feminism. Yeah. You know, she stands for equality. She stands for justice. She stands as that person who, unlike Superman... Now, Superman cares, but the problem with Superman is that everything about Superman is elevated. Okay? So, he has a super ego. He has a super emotion. He has everything is super that he has to try and contain. So his love of the people is almost a curse to him because it's like for the whole world, yeah. right? So this is why the red kryptonite affects Superman this way, right? That's why we get the, the super temper. We get the super dickery. We get all that kind of stuff, right? Um, whereas with Wonder Woman, she doesn't have any of those kind of uh, weaknesses, if you will. Yeah. But she has that heart. She has that that feminine side that she can be strong. She can be powerful. She can fight against the injustice. But she also has that compassion. Yeah. For and for everybody. And I just want to say this. I, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but the heart and the compassion. Oh my God, Gal Gadot in all of her turns as Wonder Woman got that. She nailed it. She understood the assignment. So let us talk about that, because Wonder Woman is a huge hit in the comics now. Everybody loves her. Men, women, children, they all love her. Fantastic. So when you have something that popular, obviously you want to have an iteration of that, especially in the medium of television. Yes. So uh, Wonder Woman ran for um, kind of, it's kind of weird. It ran for two and three seasons, and what was kind of weird about it is that the first season was set in the 1940s, in the World War II era. Right. And then they repackaged it as the new adventures of Wonder Woman, set in modern times. And this case was like late 1970s. So it ran for, like, aired from like 1975 to 1979. Um, And it starred, of course, the beautiful, talented Linda Carter. Yes, it did. As Wonder Woman. So for years, this was our only Wonder Woman unless you were watching Super Friends. Right. You know? And she she really did a spectacular job, no matter how campy it must seem going back. Uh, and what was what was great about that is that she had a kind of, uh, kind of a sad cameo in Wonder Woman 1984 because I think the idea was they were setting her up to come into the next Wonder Woman movie and the DCEU, as we know, is being completely revamped. Yeah. You know, I, I want to... Let's talk about the campiness of it for a second because it's it was the 1970s. It was a completely different time when it came to comic books. Um, oh, yeah. Because the, the comic books I read were very gentle in a way. Yeah. Well, at that point, there was the, the comic book code and they had to really stick to that. So comic books were campier. Comic books were sillier back then. Um, Hence the 1960s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward. Exactly. Um, When you look at the Shazam series that was out in the 70s, when you look at the Spider-Man series that was out in the 70s, they were very campy. They were very silly. They were kind of weird. Now, Marvel was the first to decide that they were going to just ignore the comic book code and just start releasing 
uh, comic books without the comic book code logo, uh, um, stamp of approval right. on it. And that's when they got into the whole drug abuse thing with Harry Osborne and all that stuff. But until then, um, and that, that changed a lot of things, especially for Batman, as we see with Tim Burton's Batman, things do get darker. Yeah. Both in Frank Miller, right? Yeah. Both in the comic books and in the in the movies and in the in the TV series, because you look at Batman the animated series as well, much darker. Um the but until then, yeah, because of the comic book code, everything was sillier, everything was kind of campier, everything was a bit weirder. And that's why you have this very campy Wonder Woman show. It it, it is a hundred percent a product of the time. And you know what? 20, 30 years from now. People are going to be sitting here, sitting there looking at Grant Gustin's Flash and saying the exact same thing. It was a product of the time. Gotham, it was a product of the time. But, you know, Agents it's really Shield. interesting, though, because you, you say that it's a product of its time, but it was also very much ahead of its time because it is showing these powerful Amazonian women. Yeah, that's who, also true. Who, she is the, the hero. This is like the first female hero where... The leading man, Steve Trevor, in this case, is not the guy to run in and save the girl. Yeah. You know, he he does not do that. She runs in and saves him, <laughs> you know, so it is ahead of its time that way. Now, what was kind of fun is there's that iconic way that Diana Prince changes into Wonder Woman. Spinny spin. She does the Wonder Woman spin. Yay! We know that stuff's about to go down when... Uh, when she does her spinny spin. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll never guess. Well, you might guess. Guess who came up with that? They they had to have a way of her changing. Yeah. That did not show anything, and, did not show the change, and could be done on television. Yeah. Guess who came up with the spinny spin? Was it Carter herself? It was Linda Carter herself. She said, why don't I just spin? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't I, I do a spin and they add some special effects and there's like a, a thunderbolt crash and she becomes Wonder Woman. And they there, went, yeah! There's an there's an Adult Swim uh, short called Too Many Cooks. I think I showed it to you. Where they parody that. And the girl starts spinning. Um, but she's spinning so long that it's actually the amount of time it would take for her to undress out of her current... Uh, current clothes and then dress into her superhero clothes. Like, it's really ridiculous. But anyway, well, the, and the, the other thing too is like so they now have Linda Carter yeah. and she was she was nailing it. She was smashing it. It was just fantastic, right? Um, but they now needed to find a Steve Trevor. Yeah, and they didn't really know where they were going to find one, so they did an intense talent search, and you know. It, it was just one of those things where it's like, where where are we going to find this guy? Well, the producers finally chose Lyle Wagner, even though he wasn't blonde. Okay, so Lyle Wagner was known um, for his comedic chops, really. He was a, a comedic actor at the time, after being se- se- spending several years on The Carol Burnett Show. So he was kind of okay, like, okay. like the straight man on The Carol Burnett Show. He was that... You know, you had Harvey Corman, you had Tim yeah. Conway. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the producers of the show knew Lyle Wagner because Lyle Wagner actually was in the running to be another superhero. Ooh, okay. He had been in the running to be Batman. Really? Yes. And uh, Adam West, of course, got the role. So, and he was also considered a bit of a sex symbol because uh, he had done a semi-nude pictorial in the first issue of Playgirl. (laughs) So, Lyle Wagner was a very handsome man, to be sure. But, uh, yeah, so they now had their stars. And you know what? I remember watching it. I Like, you were riveted to Wonder Woman. You had to watch Wonder Woman. Everybody was watching Wonder Woman. And the best thing is the iconic theme song, which still permeates pop cultures like guys today. It's just it's just amazing. I even when I sent the, the video of the uh, Wonder Woman maquette, I sent it to Matt Wessel. I even made a reel and I put that theme song on it. You know, um, before we move on to Gal Gadot, there's one thing I want to bring up. I mean, OK, so we've seen Wonder Woman in TV and more than just. You know, Linda Carter, we've also, like, there's tons of cartoons. Yeah. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Super, Super Friends, Friends from when I was yeah. a kid. Um, 
and of course all of the uh dc uh animated universe movies as well but there was a tv show um the, they made a pilot for it back in i want to say 2010 2011 mm-hmm. uh with adrian palicki um who you know aliens might know from the the the, the orville um but she was Wonder Woman, and there's there's footage and pictures of this thing uh, still on the internet today, and I wished it had got produced and actually yeah. made because it looked interesting, it yeah. looked good, and it it would have been a fine way to come out of the Tom Welling era of Superman, the Smallville series. So, but you know, for whatever reason, it didn't get it didn't get put on TV. And the, what's really interesting is that. Two fairly famous women played Hippolyta in the Wonder Woman series. In the pilot movie, mm-hmm. Hippolyta, Wonder Woman's mother, Diana Prince's mother, was played by Cloris Leachman. Really? Yes. Really? And then in a subsequent episode, it was played by Carolyn Jones, who played Morticia Adams in the Adams Family. And just just to clarify, that's the that's the uh, the, the the Linda Carter. Yeah, the Linda yeah. Carter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I don't. Cloris Leachman? Cloris Leachman played Hippolyta in the uh, TV pilot. That's neat. The TV, It was a movie. It was a yeah. TV pilot movie. Yeah. And uh, Carolyn Jones, Morticia Adams, played her in uh, subsequent uh, um, episodes of the TV show. So, I mean, it's just, it's marvelous to think about that. Yeah, it <laughs> is. So, Gal Gadot is now our Wonder Woman. I mean, for years it was Linda Carter. Yeah. For, for decades it was Linda Carter. So with Gal Gadot, it was I rem I actually remember because you know Facebook memories and all that. Um, I remember the big deal that we all made uh, when Gal Gadot was cast. Yeah. We were like, "Oh my God, they finally chose her!" And you know there was some back and forth about it. Like, mm. um, well, at that point, the only thing I had known her from was the Fast and Furious movies and. Those movies just, I don't even know which movie's which. I, they just all melt together with me, so. <laughs> she, listen, Gal Gadot played her iteration of Wonder Woman spectacularly well, considering some of the scripts are not that great. Yeah, that's true. Like, uh, 84? Yeah, yeah. But, but even Batman versus Superman, where we get our first glimpse of her. There is that scene. There is that moment. And I love it. Oh, she just played it perfectly. She didn't even say a word. There's a battle going on. And I can't I can't quite remember if um if it was I, I can't remember who I think I know the scene. It, oh, the person that okay. I can't remember who she was battling, but she gets slid back. And Gal Gadot does this smirk, if you will. Mm-hmm. And she just sits there and goes, it's almost like you can hear Wonder Woman going, okay, here we yeah. go. Cracks the neck. And, you know, as you're watching that, you go, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. She just embodied that role so, so well. And frankly, the best thing about Batman versus Superman. No shade to to Ben Affleck or Henry Cavill. I thought they did spectacular jobs playing Superman and Batman. But Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman was just that cherry on top of the sundae with the sprinkles. And she just made that movie so palatable. And you know, she really did because not a whole lot else did. But... um... I'll, I'll I'll keep my Zack Snyder bashing for another episode. Um, <laughs> it moving into the, like that first Wonder Woman movie, I really liked that. Oh, yeah, that's a great movie. It really uh, is. the The script is weak at some points, especially when it comes to Ares, the villain. But for the most part, fantastic film, absolutely great. I loved it. Um, yeah, and Chris Pine is Steve Trevor. Like Chris Pine is. He's well known to be a feminist, right? So I think he was just chomping at the bit to play Steve well, Trevor. It's not just it's not just him as Steve Trevor. Those two have legit chemistry. It's really good chemistry. That film. Yeah. Like you could just feel it between them. And I, I love that. One aspect. of my favorite scenes is when the alley and the guy shoots the gun and uh Wonder Woman puts up the bracelet and yeah. deflects it. And he's uh, Chris Pine sold that so well where he's just like, oh no, 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 wait, nobody's been shot. Wait, what? 
know? Yeah. And it's just, it's, uh, it's marvelous. And then there was the, uh, the other, the, I, I don't know if it was the first female supporting lead or whatever they're called, a supporting actress. She was the secretary and she was marvelous. Yeah. Um, everything about that first movie was marvelous. Like the troop of men that she was with that were, um, fighting alongside with her in world war two. And it's just, it's all of it just worked so well. And I think everybody wanted that movie to work well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the secretary that you just mentioned, um, what is her name? There we go. Lucy Davis, Lucy Davis. I like her. So Lucy Davis was in, it was Lucy Davis. She was in Sabrina. She she was in, um, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. I really like her. She's a she. She's a fairly decent little character actor, yeah. and she does a really good job of whatever she's doing. And yeah, it was it was nice to see her in that. It's not, uh, nice to see her whenever. Just as a sidebar, Lucy Davis playing um, playing in Sabrina. I just love it because like she's in in, in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You've got the two aunts. Right? Yeah, Hilda and Zelda. Right, and Zelda is really the strict one. Yes. And Hilda is, you know, the matronly mother one. Until you piss her off. You know, and that's that's always been the thing. Even, like, going back to the comics, going back to the Melissa Joan Hart series, um, there is always that difference between Zelda and Hilda. Hilda's more the fun-loving one, and Zelda yeah. is the more... Disciplinary. Disciplinary. Yeah. And even, even like, with, uh, with the Melissa... Like, she's not... A disciplinarian yeah. per se in the mm-hmm. Melissa Joan Hart series, but she is but definitely the, the, way the more Lucy, serious one. But the way Lucy Davis played her, like you, like it's the same thing. It's like don't piss her off. Just don't. Just don't. Hilda will eat you alive. And so she brings that kind of experience and that kind of uh, acting chops to that role. That was just such a beautiful thing to play off Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, like, you can even see that aspect of her in Shaun of the Dead because when David gets pulled out of the window by the zombies, she's right on his tail. She's going after him because, you know, that, that's her man. She's She wants to make sure he's okay. I mean, they both die, obviously. Yeah, but, obviously, you know. but... <laughs> but oh, anyway. Whatever. We digress. Um, so, so, I mean, that, that first Wonder Woman movie is just a fantastic movie. It's probably one of the best from the DC. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, Wonder Woman 1984. Happened. It happened. Kristen Wiig is a fine actress. I love Kristen Wiig. I thought she was a good choice to play the Cheetah. Cheetah is the, if you will, the Lex Luthor, the Joker, the whatever. We all know that she the is. The arch nemesis. She is the, the upper echelon of villainry for Wonder Woman. And man, they did not give you a good script for that. No shade to Kristen Wiig at all. She did a fine job. But man, I just I it took the whole movie to see her get full on cheetah. I yeah. I uh okay. So closer to the end of the movie, and I don't wanna I don't wanna spend a bunch of time ragging on no, this no, movie. No. I've I've made my opinions known about this, but closer to the end of the movie, when we see her full out cheetah and we see Wonder Woman in that big gold armor, all I could see was, and this is coming from a 90s kid, all I could see was Goldar from Power Rangers versus Taylor Swift from Cats. And I'm just like, (laughs) oh my God, this looks bad. Anyway. Listen, I didn't mind Wonder Woman's gold armor. I didn't mind that. But I would have liked to have seen them do something different with the script where we got full on Cheetah a lot earlier, you know, so that and have her pretty much, you know, as they do in superhero movies, Wonder Woman loses, yeah, you know, so that that final battle becomes so much better. And then like the wussy way that they kind of made her not Cheetah, the the wussy way of defeating her. Mm. Yeah. Not great. Well, and, and Not that, great writing. That's the thing is like you got like when you're building a superhero movie and there are there are those that do it properly and those that do it very incorrectly, but you need to have that first um interaction with the superhero and the supervillain where the superhero does the the, the first the first interaction should be a stalemate. 
The second interaction should be the superhero loses, and the third interaction should be the superhero wins. Yes, is it formulaic? Absolutely. But that's but does it sense the dawn of time whenever they start telling yeah. stories. Is it, yeah, does it make sense in, a, in, in the way of a story? Yes. And that's sometimes the way you just have to do it in yeah. a way to make it make sense. The hero rises, the hero falls, the hero learns from that fall and regains the, the power over the villain. That's, yeah. That is from the dawn of time in storytelling. Well, like when you look at, and I'll, I will look at the first Spider-Man as the um, the proper way of making a superhero film. When you look at Spider-Man, you get a little bit of time of Spider-Man just kicking, um, kicking butt on the street, kicking down, uh, you know, criminals and all that. And then there's that first interaction with the Green Goblin, where the Green Goblin is out to cause chaos, kill the the board of Oscorp. He 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 obtains his goals. All Spider-Man can do is save people because the chaos is here. Yeah. Chaos is raining down. And then there's further interactions where Spider-Man loses the interaction. And in the end, and this is kind of the great thing, is they keep Green Goblin looking strong because he kicks the living crap out of Petey at the end <laughs> of it. And it's only his own hubris that kills him. If Spider-Man didn't have his spy his spider sense, he'd have been killed. Yeah. It was that it was his goblin glider that killed him. It wasn't Spider-Man. So I'm going to give you just a, a little inkling as to how wonderful Wonder Woman is and how strong Wonder Woman is. Wonder Woman is strong enough to challenge Superman. Yeah. And even knock him out. Yeah, okay. And she's a much better fighter than he is. However, he is stronger and faster than she is. That 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 is the the upper hand right there cuz she she was trained in fighting. Um I love Superman, but man, like his his main his main uh his main strategy is basically get in there, beat the crap out of somebody and get out. Um, he's not he's not a trained fighter. He's not yeah. a trained fighter. And the truth of the matter is, too, I mean, it's like that everybody has to like you have to have some Achilles heels, right? Yeah. You have to have somebody that can have that check and balance. And Wonder Woman is. And we've seen where Wonder Woman and Superman have actually been in a romantic tryst before. Oh, does anybody tell Steve Trevor and Lois Lane these things? No. But those we've seen that iteration, you know, and, and it makes sense. It would make sense. It would make so much sense. But we're not here to talk about the romance of it all. We are here to talk about her strength, about her power, about everything that makes her great. And they did a crossover in from DC into Marvel. And it begged the question, could Wonder Woman lift Mjolnir? Okay. What do you think? I mean, whoever is... Um, okay, yeah, I think she could lift Mjolnir. No okay. problem. Yeah, so the, the, the <laughs> DC versus Marvel. This was the crossover. Uh, they pitted heroes uh, from each company against each other. Thor lost his hammer when fighting Shazam. So he's fighting Captain Marvel, Shazam, and he loses his hammer. Wonder Woman came across it and picked it up with ease. But in true Wonder Woman fashion, decided she didn't want to have an unfair advantage over her opponent, which was Storm. So she decided not to use Mjolnir. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, so that answers that question that, yes, Wonder Woman is worthy. We all knew that. I mean, she's she's a goddess. She's, she's a demigod. Yeah, she's, she's, she's like Thor. I mean, I would compare her with Thor a lot. I, I Yeah, I can see that comparison because yeah. the, the, the background is very is very similar. The I mean, the only real difference is that she didn't grow up kind of arrogant like Thor did. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, um, she, she does have, well, you could argue that she did, but, you know, she does have that humility because she was always going kind of behind her mother's back to do things and prove yeah, things, right? Yeah, that's true. Like, even in the contest, like in the in the uh, the contest that they had in the pilot episode for uh, the Linda Carter um, one, that's when Steve Trevor lands on Paradise Island, right? Right. And they decide that they need to send a champion to the world to escort Steve back into sort of right the wrongs that are going out there with the wars and everything else, because it's set in, in World War II. Right. And Hippolyta forbids Diana to enter. Can't do it. No, 
not going to do it. No. Going to do it anyway. Not you. Yeah, exactly. And so she dons a mask, and out she goes and defeats everything, and she does the battle of the bullets and the bracelets and wins very handily against her final opponent, and she removes her blonde wig and her mask and reveals that it's it's me, and Hippolyta goes, I off you go. <laughs> I just want to talk. One of my favorite scenes with the bracelet specifically is in Justice League where she, uh, where the, the, the bank robbers have all those people mm. and they're going to shoot them and then she just does the race in front of them. Ding, 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 yeah. That was so cool. That's that was a, very that's well done. A, you know, and that new Wonder Woman theme is fantastic too. Yeah. So let's just talk briefly about the things that Wonder Woman has, like that she uses. So we know she's got the bracelets. They can deflect bullets. This is a strong metal. Mm-hmm. I think that, does Wonder Woman have bullet immunity or is it just with the bracelets? I think it's just with the bracelets. Yeah, it could be. So that might be a weakness of hers. Yeah. But she can see the bullets in slow-mo and just... Yeah, exactly. So no big deal, right? She's not. She isn't really going to get hit. But she has the invisible jet. The invisible jet. Now, the invisible jet, when I was a kid in the Super Friends, didn't phase me at all. Didn't think about it. One, because I'm a kid. And two, because it didn't phase me. Now, the Invisible Jet is actually kind of gifted from the, the Amazonian women. Yeah. And she uses it now because we know Wonder Woman can fly, but she uses it because she needs to take cargo around. She has the, the lasso, the lasso of truth. Funniest scene, honestly, was when Aquaman was sitting on that thing and he's just like saying how scared he was and everything else. That can bind people. It's, it's a powerful weapon. It really can't be broken. She's got her tiara, and she has a sword. The sword that Wonder Woman has is said to be so sharp it can carve an electron off an atom. But that's really thing, sharp. Yes, but the thing of it is, she has to be able to see the atom, which of course she can't. Yeah. But her sword is so sharp it can cut Superman. There you go. There you go. Well, aliens, that's pretty much all the time that we have for this episode of Area 51 and a Half. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can find us on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at the Area 51H. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Area 51 and a Half. And don't forget to check out our Patreon for all sorts of exclusive goodies and a uh, shout out during our podcast. And of course, January 29th after four o'clock. Come check out Game Night at Danny's in St. Thomas. And don't forget to join us in two weeks back on the landing path.